come to spend time in your word this morning as we share. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would cause distractions to be set aside and our focus to be brought on you and what you have to share with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 14 is where we are, and uh, looking specifically at verse 10 this morning, uh, we'll go back over some of the other, but just uh, verse 10, and then we're going to look at First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So Romans chapter 14, verse 10: Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, the 10th verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Two verses written to Christians, not a broad general public, but very specifically written to Christians, that points out that Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of God, or as in First Corinthians put it, or Second Corinthians put it, the judgment seat of Christ. And so the question comes up: Well, I thought we were covered. We are. Don't get too concerned. But there's something unique that goes on for the the believer that we want to go over this morning that Paul makes mention of here and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we'll look at. Now, I do need to do a little review, putting it back into context. Revelation chapter, Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 14, the first four verses was, we're talking about uh, the fact that some people uh, at the time, especially the, the, the Paul was writing to the, the Romans, had a difficulty uh, with eating meat. And their reasoning, very likely for the purposes of writing to the Romans, wasn't necessarily the, the, the reason that sometimes you ran into with the, the Jewish people because of not, the meat not being kosher and, and, and this type of thing, but was that the meat had been sacrificed to idols most likely. Anything that you bought in the marketplace had the, it could have easily been sacrificed by idols because what happened was in the pagan temples they have their sacrifices the priests would receive their portion. Their portion was more than what was necessary to meet their, their physical needs, and they were allowed to sell it for their, to, for their income to the meat market. And so you go into the meat market as a, and, and you'd buy the meat. Well, as a pagan, if you will, the Gentiles of, of Rome, that didn't bother them until they came to Christ. And all of a sudden they're thinking, well, can I eat this meat and, and be right before the throne of God? I don't think so. And so they, they were choosing not to eat meat. Others were arguing, we're free to do that. We can do that. And so there was a discussion going on here. Paul says it really doesn't matter which side of this issue that you're on. Whatever you do, he points out very clearly in uh, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse... Uh, get, get the right spot here. Chapter 14 in verse 4, he says... Uh, 
who uh, who are you to pass judgment? Oh, there we go. One person. Uh, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. And and the idea is is that you know God has received this person. He's he's in a relationship with God. He's he's honoring his conscience. And in fact, the end of verse five says, each one should do uh, be fully convinced in his own mind about what he does. And so what Paul was going to be driving for through these verses that we went over last week was that if you don't eat the meat because it's sacrificed idols and you've got a, a thing in your conscience about this and it bothers you, then don't eat. But whatever you do in that context doesn't give you the right to despise those who do or judge those who do. And for that matter, you who are free to eat meat doesn't give you the right to despise those who don't. It's not an issue of salvation. It's not an issue of necessarily that idea of core values. It's a preference. But it's all right to have a preference in your conscience that you've agreed with yourself and God not to do. Or to do, either way. And I've mentioned last week, for me, I don't drink. It's not that I have anything that I can find in Scripture that says, thou shalt not drink. If anything, I have the the Scriptures that show when you do drink, do it with responsibility and moderation. Don't get drunk. All these other things that go with that. And what happens with, you know, lots of, of, of Proverbs other scriptures telling us about what happens when you do get drunk and why you don't want to get drunk. But the idea is is that you're free to drink. I'm not, but it has nothing to do with the idea of, of right or wrong before the throne of God. For the whole, it has to do with me and the right or wrong for me before the throne of God. I am a person who has a history of abusing alcohol. Therefore, I don't drink. For me, to take a drink would be a risky thing. And I'm confident, to be honest with you, because of my own experiences earlier in my Christian, you know, in my beginning of my Christian walk, when I thought maybe I had it all under control now that I was in Christ. And even though I didn't go out and get drunk or anything else, I realized as soon as I took that drink, the next thing I was doing was acting very much like an alcoholic, planning my next one. And I realized it was interfering with my walk. I don't drink. Now, you don't have the right to assess me on that. <laughs> you, you don't have the right to think little of me because I'm not mature enough or, or, or whatever enough as a Christian uh, to be able to handle it. But I have no right to judge you either if you choose to have a glass of wine with your dinner. You see how this works. In fact, he even mentions in verse 21, he brings in the drinking issue as well in chapter 14. So what we're talking about is this idea of, of it, it's not a matter of who's right. It's a matter of the freedom that you have in Christ to come before him and in specific issues that are not in relationship to faith that, and, and salvation where you have a right to make a decision about how you view that. Now, there are some people who are vegetarians because they really don't like the idea of, of, of eating meat for either health reasons or just because... They, they look at an animal and just say, how could you? I'm not one of those. And I don't mean to be offensive in the process to someone who is. And I don't mean to take it lightly either. 
I shared with you last week, I am actually what they call an opportunivore. Whatever I have the opportunity to eat, I take advantage of it. <laughs> and it shows. But the idea is that we're not to go around. Really, the thing that Paul was concerned about was going around and judging on issues that are non-important, not important to your faith or salvation, but personal. And obviously, this was something that was going on. They were, uh, they were getting into discussions about this. How could you possibly eat something sacrificed to an idol? How terrible you are. Well, how can you be so immature as to not have the freedom to realize you can do that? And it was divisive. And Paul says it's not necessary. And for that matter, he goes into this and says, who are you to judge somebody else's servant anyway? I'm paraphrasing, but I'm putting them together. But who are you to judge somebody else's servant anyway? These are God, you know, we're all God's servants. He's the one that judges. And we are all going to stand before him and be accountable. Now, does this mean if I see someone in a sin that is obviously labeled a sin, for instance, let's say adultery or something like that, and I, and I deal with that, uh, should I be confrontive? Should I deal with Yeah, that's not, we're not talking about things. We're talking about those issues that are personal of choice. And, and we don't have a right to make them any more than that. One of the things that's interesting was is that uh, you know, Paul makes it clear, we don't live or die to ourselves in verse 7, but we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord's. And so, again, in verse 10, he's saying, why do you pass judgment on your brother or despise your brother? Again, that's just, this isn't your job. It's the Lord's job. And we are going to stand before his judgment seat. And it says in verse 11, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And if you want the full picture of the quote, what is it we're going to, to knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're acknowledging he's the one who is responsible for, for us and we are responsible to him. By the way, Side note, and I mentioned it briefly last week too, we are all guilty of sin. We don't need to go manufacturing situations that, 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 that are not you know, part of the picture. We're all guilty as it is. And not one of us can stand before the throne of God without the covering of His blood. We sang it in various ways this morning. And we all are sometimes the weak brother or sister because we haven't gotten to a place of, of growth and understanding of the Lord in some particular area that someone else is mature. I've seen people come to the Lord and instantly be delivered from situations in their life. I, I'm thinking of one person I know, uh, alcohol, cigarettes, chewing tobacco, and drugs. The day he accepted the Lord, those things left his body. I mean, he left his possession, and he never had the need again. Okay, and and it's it's I see other people who have come to the Lord that that they realized that they were manipulative and, and gossipy and this type of thing. And as soon as they came, they were convicted and that part stopped. But they still struggle with other things. Neither one of these guys have the right to judge, even in that context where there is sin. Other than to come alongside as a brother in love. At that point, what's the scripture? Beware of what's in your own eye first. What is it that's in our eye? A log. 
And you know how my picture of that is. I don't. I'm, you know, I normally pick up something like a, 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 a mic stand or something and try to go up to somebody in the front aisle and get something out of their eye. You know, that's that's the picture that the, the absurd picture that Jesus wanted because we need to be aware that we have sin in our own life. We're not to do this in a judgmental way, but to come alongside the brother. I too am a sinner. We need each other's help to get through and have victory in Christ. So, all of this to say. We need to be very, very cautious when we start throwing stones about anything. And there's some things that we don't, we don't even, that shouldn't even be in the mix. But what I really want to focus on this morning is that fact that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God, or as, as it's put in, first, in 2 Corinthians, the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment that's talked about in Revelation and, and some other places in the sense of, of uh, is, is that final uh, assessment where the people that have rejected Christ, not, their name is not written down in the Lamb's book of life and they are being assessed as to that, that sin right there. The rest of it, really, you realize outside of Christ, you can have all these other sins, these myriads of sins that it really doesn't make any difference. The, the, the issue that's keeping you out of heaven is that you have rejected Jesus Christ. And at the great white throne, that's what's going to, to be the issue. But at, at the return of Christ for his church, there's going to be a, a point in time where we come before him, each of us, to stand and be judged. And what we're going to be judged for are the, the, the what we have done as believers with what God has given us as his resources to be the children of God. In other words, he's going to look at you and how did you live your life for me? I recall when I, uh, just shortly after I became a Christian, there was a, 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 a it was very popular, it was a comic book tract, for lack of better words. It was, it was a pamphlet size, but you went through it and, and, and it was talking about how you were going to stand before the throne of God and it was, and and here was this huge video screen that was going to reveal your life all the way around, and all the other believers are standing there too, watching what you did. That's there's nothing in scripture to substantiate you. This is between you and God. It's not between the whole body of Christ and God. It's between you and God as He assesses your life and and how you served Him. And we'll get into some details about that in a minute. It's basically our walk with him that's going to be assessed. How did you use the resources? Did you use them to the glory of God? Were you giving thanks? Did you do it with conviction? Some of the things that are mentioned here already. Did you have the right attitude? God first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Fellow man second. I'm third. Attitude. Now, a glimpse into this, and I, and I say just a glimpse. It's not something to make a, a doctrinal picture out of as much as just the reality that Paul gives us a picture of, of the process a little bit of this judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Paul is, is making the statement that, uh, that he has laid the foundation, as a builder lays the foundation, chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. What? 
the foundation that has been laid. The foundation what has been laid is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, what saves you. It's been it's laid. Be careful how you build on that foundation is the warning. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel. In fact, when that started to look like it was happening in Galatians, Paul says, what in the world is going on here? You're looking at another gospel, a different foundation. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, in fact, he said, it's, it's something that's it's a, a damnable offense. It's, you don't get caught up in this. It's wrong. So there is a foundation that has been laid. The gospel, the good news, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Paul writes in Romans, if you confess that Jesus Christ come in the flesh, the Son of God, as your Savior, then you're saved. This is the, the foundation. But we do build on that as believers as we grow into the Lord. What's the process that we call, Paul says at one point, he says, working out your salvation. Even though you're saved, you're in the process of becoming what you are already seen as saved. What do we call that? Sanctification. That's the building process of what goes on the foundation. Our walk with the Lord, our growth. By the way, I have to be honest with you, there's been some serious remodeling in my life. What I'm talking about is that initially some things that, I, that went up uh, on the foundation because of, of immaturity and, and just you know not having walked, not gotten a full understanding of things. Uh, some things got remodeled. How did that happen? Well, God convicted me. Things that I were, you know, I realized. I, I'll tell you, there's things today that I look at that uh, I see as standing that, that can interfere with my walk with the Lord that it never occurred to me when I first became a Christian, or even in the first decade that I was a Christian. I think I've shared with you many times the picture that I have that, that I feel God gave me. You understand because of, of the way I think, I need pictures to understand things. I'm one of those people that says. Where's the pictures when you get into the, the, the books, you know? And, and mine is an... And, and this is for me. It's not for you. But if you want to use it, you may. I see... God, God showed me. He says, your life is like an artichoke, Bob. Now, I love artichokes. So he got my attention. Opportunivore got my attention. Um, what's the goal of eating an artichoke? To get to the heart, Okay. And in fact, you can go and buy the hearts, all, you know, the, all the leaves taken off, and just get the hearts or the, the last little bit of the hearts, and you can get them, get them, you can get them pickled, you can get them oiled, you can get them all sorts of ways. Uh, but the idea is to get to that heart of the matter. And so, what happens is you, you, the crusty leaves that come off right at the beginning, uh, kind of hard, kind of stiff, not very much uh, food on them or, or, or fruit or meat or whatever you want to call it, and and so. Uh, I got the picture that that was the obvious sins in my life that, that everybody else could see, that, 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 you know, they just needed to go. And they were the things that were just clear. And, and candidly, some of the things that for me were, were needed to go was the drinking and other things. Those things came off. And then I started dealing with other things in my life. And it was amazing. Some of the seasons in my life where things just kind of came out fairly easy and fairly consistent, you know, and I, oh, you know, and, and, and it wasn't too much difficulty. There were some things I could deal with in my life as I understood what they were, surrender them to God, and, and it seemed like, well, that's over. You know, I'm not going to have any problems with that again. 
And then all of a sudden, all the leaves are gone, and I, I want to eat the heart. But something has to happen first. There are thousands, not just a few, there are thousands of thistles. That little fine hair. By the way, as a child experiencing this, you do not want to eat that part. It gets all into your teeth and a little into your tongue, and some of them are sharp. What has to happen? It needs to be scraped out. And it was kind of like God was laying this on my heart, was he says, we're finally down to the heart of the matter, Bob. The stuff that's closest to your heart and growing closest to your heart and is going to be the most painful to remove, it's time. These are little things that stand between you and me and God. Not, this isn't for anybody else. This is for you, Bob. And we need to start scraping. So, this idea of, 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 of as you grow, some kind of way of looking and maturing. Paul says, I'm giving you an illustration here. There's the foundation of the building. That's been laid. The salvation through Jesus Christ has been laid. What are you building on it? The structure of, of growing in, in Christ. And he says very carefully, let each one take account. You know, the, the vase has been laid. The Son of God in the flesh, death, burial, resurrection. What are you building on it? Now, he goes on and he says in, in, that the building materials, uh, as, as we look at this, uh, he's the master builder and he says, no one can lay a foundation, verse 11, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, some of your... Uh, scripture will say precious jewels, or uh, but the idea is the, the stones that were used to build in the temple that were precious, or sim- we call them semi-precious, uh, we're talking about those, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, everything that we have done as a believer, everything, every word, every thought is going to come into a category of gold, silver, precious stones, or hay or wood or stubble. Keep that in mind. Because it's, it's, it will become manifest on the day and it will be disclosed because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the sort of work each one has done. Now think about this. You know what's going to happen to the hay, wood, and stubble or the hay, wood, and straw. Have you ever, ever you know, I'm a, I'm a very typical guy. I, I kind of like to play with fire. I still like starting fires in my fireplace. Um, I'm not careful where I define that. You know. But I, I can recall one time thinking, ooh, look at all this, this straw. I wonder how fast that burns. <laughs> and I started a backyard fire. Because <laughs> it just goes poof. <laughs> you know, and, and it starts everything else on fire, poof. It's kind of like right now in a dry tinderbox. You know? And... Uh, it, it, fortunately, it was very easily contained and very, fat, you know, not a big problem. But it, it, straw burns fast, you know. Hay, straw, you know. Now wood, it burns slow, but it still ultimately leaves what? A pile of ash. Okay. So Paul's saying there's all these things that and and that you do. They're going to fall into a category of of this. The only things that obviously are going to stand through this test are the precious stones, the silver, and the gold. And he says only what survives 
if you will, is, is what counts. What survives, you know, you receive a reward for. What burns you'll, is, is as if loss, if you will. And it kind of has to bring the question, what if I've been a very poor builder? I've, I've loved the foundation. I love Jesus Christ. I've, I've, I stand on that foundation, but I've, I've not done a good job building. And, I, and that has to be a question. Uh, and, and so he says, if the work that anyone has built on the mountain, foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, even if, you know, as we rest in Christ, it's, it's still, even if, if most of our works are, are, don't meet the criteria of, of gold and silver and, and precious stone, uh, still we will... I often thought, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, a lot of my works were, were, were wood, maybe even solid oak. <laughs> I, I, I love wood. I've worked with it for almost all my life. And, you know, I think of some of the really, really hard woods. There's some the ironwood that comes out of Oregon. That stuff's almost unburnable, uh, but but the idea is is that ultimately it will. And and it's kind of like, what if, if if I've done a lot of reasonably appeared to be good things, but I was just wrong? You know, I'm not going to lose my salvation. This judgment, this judgment seat situation, is not in reference to salvation. It's in reference to the saved who are building on top of that salvation and how we stand before God. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, I think I get it. Because the reality is, I know that I am saved. Romans chapter 2 says, I am saved by faith through, you know, in grace, saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Even the faith is a gift from God. So I have to come to that and say, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. But, you know, so what is, what, is, what is Paul talking about here? And I have to be honest. I, I'm thinking, what is this? What are the rewards? And so I started the, really pressing this issue. And I, I've got a number of, of people that I like to look to as far as what the rewards are. Uh, what, what, how to get difficult scriptures to understand them. Uh, I will turn to John MacArthur or John Piper, uh, uh, a guy by the name of Ray Pritchard, I really uh, enjoy his work and his writing uh, and his teaching, uh, and certainly uh, commentaries that include Spurgeon and others. Uh, and I will read a lot of things. And it was interesting. There wasn't a overall consensus. And there were a few that I read, just you know, uh, that that actually kind of got the idea. Now. You better really work hard because you don't want to lose your rewards. They wouldn't tell me what my rewards were, but they were telling me, you better work really hard here. You don't want to lose them. And all of a sudden, this idea, is there a part of my relationship with heaven that has to do with, with, with how I work? Obviously, there is. Not my salvation. Some were going through a list of crowns. You know, there's several different crowns that are mentioned. Crowns of righteousness, crown of salvation, all these different crowns. And, and those are the rewards, you know. 
And the neat thing about those rewards is that at the, as we come before Christ, we're going to lay them at his feet. So it's, it's wanting to be able to bring that offering to him. So beware uh, how you live your life. You know, this type. And most, most of it had to do with the caution. Yesterday, I was at a, a, a it's called Mercy Missions, and it was, it was a, a seminar or a, a teaching time, if you will, uh, about more about the context of mercy than it was about a specific mission, although it, it was about that. Uh, uh, Levi, bless his heart, drove me uh, because it was in Pleasant Hill. You know, went down Friday, came back yesterday. That's why I'm in shorts today. My legs cannot comprehend that kind of sitting or handle that kind of sitting for any length of time. Anything that touches them right now because of the neuropathy as it sends me through the roof. But the, you know, Levi and I and, and, and some of his friends from seminary were there and, and going through this thing. And a few things, I was taking notes, and, and I didn't realize that I was answering some of my questions as I was taking notes from things that they were teaching us. And as we were on our way home, I'm in the back seat with, uh, uh, there's four of us with the car pulled together from Potter Valley. And, and so we're, we're in the back seat. I'm in the back seat. I can't hear what's going on in the front seat. See, and George, and this is a real person, George, this time. You know how I normally use it. Uh, is sitting next to me, and he's dozing. And I don't want to disturb that. And I, I tried dozing, but I don't do that well, you know, in the car. And, and, and so I thought, you know, I'll go. I was going to look at my note. And then it came to me. Oh, I started writing some stuff down. And I want to share with you. I came to a kind of different conclusion. I am aware of something that you are aware of. And that is no shadow or hint of darkness will be in heaven. Darkness being the equation to sin. The, you know, the equivalent of sin. There's going to be a hint of it. Not even a hint of shadow. We've talked about that idea of shadow in here. You look around here and the light is supposedly here in such a way to prevent as few shadows as possible so that you can read comfortably wherever you are in the room. But I, I, I can still, there's a shadow here. I move it here. It's now over here. Uh, there's still shadows, there's, and, and you can't get away from that. Okay, the idea of sin in this world, there's, there's no place that's free of it. There's, not, there's no body, <laughs> nobody, nobody, uh, there, that's free of it. And so, as believers, our structures, if you will, need to go through the final phase of getting rid of all the darkness. And everything that we have not done in the name of God and into His glory first uh, doesn't stand the test. But kind of, and, and it's going to be taken out. It's not that it's going to affect my, my heaven-bound situation. You know, it's not like I'm going to be looking at you and saying, oh, you got more reward than I got. Uh, I should have been better. You know, because there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no tears, there's no in heaven. So how does this? How important? What? I think it's part of the purifying process myself, in the sense of the reality that whatever's dross in your life needs to be gone before you make the final phase. You know. But even if that's too broad, and there is some tangible physical reward that we're talking about, it's never clearly defined because it's not the point. 
the point really that, that, that Paul was driving for and in Corinthians as well as Romans was there's a whole bunch of you that have got ideas about what's good and what's not good and how you stand before God with it and you've got a lot of confusion here. You know, here's the foundation. Here's the kind of stuff you build on it. And the kind of stuff that you're going to build on it has to do with, with how you relate to God in the sense of giving Him glory and honor and praise. And how you look at, at the reality that without Him, you have no hope of salvation. There is no answer to your sin without God through Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood. How do you come to that then? You come with complete humbleness. No arrogance about, oh, I'm saved, you're not, you know, uh, kind of attitude. But compassion and humility, mercy. And everything, ultimately, that God has created will go through the test of fire as there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll be part of it. Now, a guy by the name of Ironside... H.A. Ironside, some of you, I don't know, you, you all would be familiar with him, but he, yeah, a writer that was around in you know, uh, the early 1900s and, and into the, I can't remember, he died in 1950-something. but um, He kind of looked at it in preparing, in building your structure. Some of the things that you need to pursue, and he took this out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, was the idea of running the race and pursuing righteousness. Not your righteousness, Christ's righteousness and His holiness. Pursuing godliness. Pursuing a, a, a growing faith and, and, and the love for Christ and the love for others. Uh, a, a steadfastness in the sense of once you've got a hold of a truth of Christ that, that's, that is, is something in your life that, that's, that's solid and you can hang on, hold on to it and stand fast with it and then move for more. Don't ever stop seeking to grow stronger and deeper in Christ. And then with that is the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness and patience and long-suffering. And he said this pursuit is called the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians... In the fifth chapter, we're given some, and all through Ephesians, given various things, but, uh, but we're told very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It made me think of Romans 12, offering yourself as a living sacrifice to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In God, in Christ. How do we do that? By meditating and studying His Word and encouraging one another in His Word. Uh, he says, But sexual immorality, all impurity of covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which out of place, but instead, which, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So don't look at the world and say, well, I can kind of introduce this. In fact, if you have an attitude that I can, I can mix the world 
and 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 my my faith and everything is hunky dory on the way to glory. Yeah, you might be wanting to examine your the, whether you're even on the foundation. You might be building on a different foundation. That's the concern here. And and so uh, he goes on. Uh, you know, look carefully then how you walk in verse 15 of chapter five. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. We're surrounded in a fallen world that's evil. It wants to pull you away. So be cautious of that. Look at that. And make the best use of your time. What's the, mon- the number one resource you can't renew? Time. You know, uh, you spend it, it's gone. There, there's no reuse of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, God first, the other person second, encouraging, building up one another, not spending time tearing down, but to build up in Christ. And so all of this is this idea of, of, of the good fight, pursuing God and, and, and committing our, our hearts and minds to, to knowing it. But what happens when I do blow it? Not just that picture of, of the, the overstock, but just day to day. What happens when I do blow it? Well, God made sure that we had an answer for that. And, and we go to, to, I think the clearest one to go to is First John. And, and he just says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in, blood, in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so we're aware. He has no darkness in him, but we have some. So what are we going to do about this when we realize my artichoke as I come leaf by leaf and I realize it, you know, this, this has got to be dealt with. We confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2 tells us he's actually our lawyer before the throne of God. He's the, the high priest who intercedes continuously for us as we stand on his foundation of, 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 of salvation. The only reason why we can come together and approach the throne of God has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ. It's all possible because of the cross. We we cry out like David does, Lord, created me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart. Restore me in the joy of salvation. And, And the Holy Spirit, Lord, whatever, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And it's not that he was going to lose the Holy Spirit as much as that idea. I couldn't survive without it. Resting fully in God at that point. Creating us a clean heart. And, and to me, that's that idea of confessing sin, Lord. Uh, search me, O oh Lord. 
see if there be any wicked way in me, knowing that there's going to be, but wanting to know it so I can deal with it. So I can build a structure that someone else can look at and say, oh, that's pointing to God. There are times in my life, and I, and I, find, I, I think Paul said it best, where we want to be careful that we don't focus so hard on, on what has passed and the sins of our past that God has forgiven us that it hampers us either. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, very familiar verses. Uh, brothers, I do not, you know, he's talking about uh, the attitude of, well, you know, if, you know how uh, if anybody should, you know, can obtain a right standing, you know, look at my works and, and all this kind of stuff. And he goes on, then he talks about how he's rested in Christ and his salvation. He says, but I haven't obtained this yet. In other words, I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal this also to you. In other words, you'll catch it eventually. Uh, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So in other words, I've, I've, the one other thing that happens in our walk as we realize we have to come before God is that there are sins that God has, you know, that's been taken care of. It's been erased. It's been forgotten. It's no longer held against us. Satan loves to bring that back, though. I think of it like that, uh, like a little uh, devil you know, on your shoulder. Saying, you remember this? And you think God can forgive you? I've, I've talked to people before who have said, I understand that God forgives anything, but you have no idea what I've done. Yeah. And even after we get past that, it sometimes haunts us. Well, I want to let you know, if God passes, casts the... The, the sin into the deepest sea as far, you know, in the deepest sea or as far as the east is from the west, two points that will never meet, you know, okay, then, then Satan, the best he can do is to come up with a cheap facsimile of what God has forgiven me of and throw it at me. He's not even got the real thing. He's a fake all the way around. And he's trying to haunt me with a past that's not, is, is probably not even clear. But when I've released it in forgiveness... I am allowed to let it go as I come before God. And putting past behind me, I'm going to face forward and strain towards the prize. The prize, you know, don't worry about the rewards as much as this. The prize is to be in the presence of God eternally. That is ours. We're pressing forward to that. And we want to strain for it because we want to appreciate it even now. You know, the idea of being good isn't to get a reward. The idea is that being good draws me close to the one who has saved me. And I get to enjoy it now. I, don't, I, I know it's going to be awesome then, but even now I can enjoy it. Even now I can rest in it. Even now I can have excitement about it. Even now I can anticipate it. And as a result, I, I am experiencing joy in my salvation. thinking of a person, uh, I've mentioned it before, was very disappointed that somebody 84 years old could get saved. And, 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 and her comment was, it's not fair. 
She was raised in a pastor's home, you know, PK. I've had to be a Christian all my life. And he gets all the rewards that I get. She really had it down because the key was she, he gets eternal life just as much as she does. And she, he's not getting any less or more than, and she's not getting any less or more. We, they both get eternal life with, a, with, a, with the creator of the universe there and the author of their salvation forever. <laughs> and, 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 and some people think of the rewards, you know, like, well, some, you know, like grandstands. You know, there's going to be people behind the home plate and, and, and there's going to be people looking through the fence in the knothole. You know. Guess what? If that were the case, you'd be so thrilled that you get to look through the knothole compared to where you were going to be, you're still going to be perfectly happy. But, but that's, I, I think that's just a bad analogy. So don't quote that. But the idea is, is that, can you be excited about your salvation right now? Be happy that you're saved in Christ? And I want to do it right because some deal about rewards and, and that type of thing, but do it right because God of all salvation is my Savior, of all creation is my Savior. And I enjoy knowing Him. I enjoy drawing close to Him. I enjoy fellowshipping with people of a like mind who want to draw close to Him because we encourage each other in that. And we can kind of get excited about it. We can get excited a lot about it. And that's good. And it's all because of what Christ has done. We are saved by grace through faith in who? Christ Jesus, who's done it for us. There isn't anything that I bring to the table for my salvation. It's what He has done. I've shared this many times, and I know that it's true in, my, in, in, in every part of me. Any part of my salvation is left up to me, I'm in trouble. But since it rests in Christ, I can rest in it completely. Ask the ushers to come forward, uh, pass the communion out until we've all been ser- served, and we'll share it together.
thinking when the idea of using Philippians chapter 3 as part of the picture uh, this morning was that, that reality of, of realizing that you know we can come to the table uh, you know in the sense of communion and we're told very distinctly uh, later on in, in, in first Corinthians that we're, the, we're to examine ourselves and, and take take stock where, where you are in Christ what your relationship is what your life is like what you've been doing, what you haven't been doing, should have been doing and didn't do, all those things. And, and you're, we're, you're supposed to do it. And, I, and I, I've had people say, you know, we don't have time to do that before we, you know, in communion. You know, we, we really don't have time, we, you know, the way we do it. You know, I, I understand that and as to what you're, what's being said sometimes about that. But do you realize that really the attitude should be that we're coming already with that in mind before we ever get here? To come with an anticipation and an expectation of, of, of entering into communion with Christ from the very moment we come together as far as the collective sharing of worship. That means I've prayed up before I got here. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I had uh, one person uh, a number of years ago saying, uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of hit me, you know, you know, why do we have to have some songs where we sing the chorus over and over and over and over and over and over again? And the person says, it's just to get ready and to get into He says, aren't we supposed to come ready? I thought that was a rather interesting statement. I still like the songs where we do a lot of those choruses, but, but it doesn't change the fact that it was kind of an interesting response. And it's always hit me. Yeah, I'm supposed to. Now, you expect me to come prayed up, right? Is it fair for me to expect you to come prayed up? I think it is. And so as we come to communion, even now we have that opportunity to examine. I'm confident that even as we pray and we share in communion and, and, and even after the fact of having shared in communion, we can continue to pray. God will bring to mind things that need to be corrected, remodeled in that structure that's being built on the foundation. And we need to ask God to give us ears to hear his direction to, to hear. And by the way, eyes to see in his word what really is important for you today. And it's interesting. Sometimes God's word is going to speak differently to you than it is to me even after reading the same verses. And those times where you read into God's word and all of a sudden you see it and you say, I have read this at least 5, 10, 15, 35, 40 times, whatever. How come I had never seen it before? It's because those artichoke leaves hadn't been removed that were blinding you. Now we're down to the, the heart of the matter. And all of this is because of what Christ has done. The foundation that we've been talking about is laid in it for us, is revealed clearly in communion. The God of creation, Jesus Christ, everything that's in existence was spoken in existence through him. 
He sustains it, it says, by His, his, his Word. Everything is, is through Him. He emptied Himself and came in the flesh. And so He used the bread as that picture. This is my body. I've come in the flesh. My body has been broken for you. Not that His bones were broken. In fact, none of His bones were broken, which was a prophetic picture that would be drawn. The guys on either side, bones were broken intentionally to cause them to die. There was no need for that. For Christ, his heart had already surrendered. He'd offered himself, you see, as a living sacrifice. Couldn't be taken from him. He gave it. Came in the flesh for us. He asked us as often as we share in this bread that represents his body, that we would do it in remembrance of him and what he's done for us. And that we do now. When the cup of, of wine, new wine, uh, you know, because of tea totals like me, new wine, grape juice, but still the significance, the fruit of the vine. Not, it's interesting, it's not white grapes, it's red. <laughs> to represent what? What exactly he said it would represent. His blood poured out for us. And he asked us to drink it in remembrance of him. And I thought that was, it's an interesting thing. But it's not because there's anything supernatural going on here, but that reminder as we eat the bread and drink the cup that we're identifying ourselves with the God of all creation and the author of our salvation and really recognizing the sacrifice he made for us. And he asks us to do this until he comes again. He's coming again, as we've talked about this morning. And so when we come to that day of judgment seat where we come, we don't have to come with fear and trembling. We come with confidence. I stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. My goal isn't to win a reward as much as my goal is to know Christ. Him crucified, resurrected, and saving me, saving us. Let's drink the cup together. Father, we thank you for these emblems that you have given us to remind us the awesomeness of who you are and what you've done. Lord, don't allow us to, to sit and wait now until next Sunday to be reminded, though. We'd ask that you would remind us frequently in a single day, not just every day, that we belong to the God of all creation because of the cross. And because of the cross, we are saved not what we have done, but what you have done. And so we ask, Lord, I think of again, often I quote Tozer's prayer, Lord, give me the desire to desire you more and the want to want you more because of who you are and what you've done. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the grace you have lavished on us. In Jesus' name.